0: Coming up on this episode, we're looking back at some favorite YA reads from 2022 with a special guest co-host. Welcome to episode 408 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of queer romance fiction. I'm Jeff, and for the very first time ever, Will's taken the week off. And I am joined by someone who is so perfect to talk about queer YA with, author Julian Winters. Julian, welcome. It is so awesome to have you here. Thank you so much. It is
1: unbelievably awesome for me to be here. I I cannot believe I'm getting to do this. I can't believe I'm getting to do something more than just like a quick segment. of.
0: Of all the people I could have for the first co-host, I'm like, who do I want to talk about YA with? And you were like the person to talk about YA with because you're always on Twitter, amplifying books, talking about what you've read. I have a long list of the things you've read ARCs about that you're like, this book, this is really good. It'll come in six months. <laughs> <laughs> sort of good to talk about favorite YA. It's like, yes.
1: <laughs> yes, I I, I know. I, I I can't help myself sometimes when I read something really great. I guess it's probably because growing up, I didn't have a lot of books that I can relate to and love. And so now that I'm older and getting all these books, I just have to shout them out. I need more people to come into my circle so I can yell about these books. So, yeah, I'm so happy to be here and getting a chance to kind
0: of talk about some of my favorites from 2022. And you're going to get to yell a lot about some really cool books. (laughs) Definitely want to say hello to you, Rainbow Romance Reader. It is so great to have you here for one of two episodes that are going to look back at the books of 2022. So Will and I are going to do our look back on 2022 a little bit later this month and talk about all the romance books that we really liked. But I'm curious for you, before we kind of get into these books, what are some of the overall highlights of 2022 for you?
1: Oh, gosh. 2022 was a weird year for me. I think I've expressed that quite a few times on social media. So some of the highlights for me was obviously my fourth book came out, and that was amazing, and the response to that was incredible. I didn't. No, it would be so well received. I got three street stars from trade reviews, and that's never happened to any of my books. So that was a huge highlight for me. Um, and then getting to go to a bunch of different festivals in person was really great. Getting to meet young readers and talk to them and kind of share that experience was so rejuvenating for me. So that was a highlight for me. I think another highlight for me, though, for most of this year I looked at it as a downside was writing, which was a struggle. But it's also been kind of rewarding to do and to struggle like that again, to kind of remember that this is not, not easy. It's never supposed to be easy, but that's what makes it so rewarding at the end. So that was a highlight for me is spending, I've spent almost the entire year drafting and revising one book. So it has not been a usual year for me, but I think that's been good for me. It's kind of been a good wake-up call, both career-wise and also for my mental health too.
0: Yeah, because there's so much mental health kind of wrapped up in writing the book and like, this is how it was for me before, but this is how I'm getting through it now. I'm right there with you. My 2022 was very much the same in that regard. I assume this is the 2024 book that you're you're working on.
1: It's it, and the way this is going, maybe a 2025 book. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll
0: keep my fingers crossed for 24 because I need it's... a Julian Winters book at least once a year, so hope so. (laughs) And of course, we're in the holiday season here, early December. I have questions I love to ask the guests to just get a little bit of insight into who they are. And I'm curious, what's a favorite holiday tradition that you've got? That is a really great question because I feel like There
1: are certain things that I always do, like I always watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I have to watch A Charlie Brown Christmas at least a few times during the holiday season because it brings back so many childhood memories. But I think the biggest tradition for me that stands out is... From when I was a little boy, I've always been in the kitchen with my mom during the holiday season, either watching her cook or kind of being like the sous chef. Like, here, mom, here's here's the greens and here's the, you know, macaroni. Here's all these different, you know, ingredients you need. And now that I'm older and she's taught me the recipes, I'm no longer just the guy standing on the side being the helper. She's actually like, okay, and this is your assignment and you make this and you make that. And I think it's one of my favorite traditions because I feel like the kitchen space is such a wonderful space to kind of be vulnerable, to have a laugh, to dance around, to really enjoy yourself with family or the ones that you love. And so for me, that's a favorite holiday tradition is waking up after probably being up all night watching movies and, you know, going and helping my mom in the kitchen and just kind of, you know, dipping back into that nostalgia and remembering what it's like to enjoy the people.
0: That's awesome that you graduated from sous chef to actually getting assigned stuff. It means you actually, you got trusted. Yes.
1: I (laughs) I learned. I, through some much messed up recipes, I did learn.
0: (laughs) Favorite dish.
1: Oh, hands down. My mom's baked macaroni and cheese. Hands down would have it for every holiday, every, you know, birthday, every day that ends in the letter
0: Y. Once you get good macaroni and cheese, it's hard to go back. That's for sure.
1: Yes, definitely. What about you? What's a tradition that you have to, you know, lean into every year?
0: It's definitely, I think, about what gets watched. Like, if you track back to Thanksgiving, it's got to be the parade. The Macy's Parade has got Mm -hmm. to be viewed on NBC with all the Broadway stuff. Yes. And then if you go beyond that, a lot of it ties to like TV. Charlie Brown Christmas, absolutely must watch every single year. Certainly Grinch is in there. All of the older Rankin Bass. So, you know, Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the red Nose Reindeer. Those very, you know, those were like very much my childhood, you know, on CBS, watching those as they came out. But more recently I've also had to, this is about 10 years of tradition now. The Kim Possible Christmas episode must be watched. And now oh. that they're on <laughs> Disney Plus, it's so easy because yeah. it's just right there. Push the button whenever you want to see
1: it. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. That is one thing I am grateful for these streaming services, though it is getting pricey to own, you know, or to to get those monthly and whatnot. I love that things like when the holidays were come around we no longer have to wait until oh 8 p.m on you know abc or something that's when i can finally watch it you can watch it anytime and it's just so heartwarming
0: what about favorite gift from when you were a kid
1: oh gosh this that's a tough question because i feel like i got a lot of great gifts as a kid i do remember i don't know if it's favorite i i remember a favorite gift moment yeah, it was one Christmas. And my, my parents were really... there's. I have three other siblings. So my parents had to buy for four children. And I remember it was a tight year financially for them. And so they would always let us, like, give us your Christmas list. And that year they said, specifically, you can only put three things on there. And I remember putting... I don't know what the other two items are. But I remember I was huge into G.I. Joe. And they came out with this, like battle station or something really, really wanted it. And I remember Christmas came around and we were giving out, they were giving out gifts and everyone got their gifts. And I got, I think I got all three gifts and none of them were the GI Joe thing. And I, you know, I was happy to have what I had, but also I was young. So I cried. I cried (laughs) when all the gifts were given out. Yes. I just burst into tears because I really wanted that GI Joe thing. And then my dad surprised me and pulled it from like deep behind the tree. And it's this big old box. I remember opening it and then I was crying happily to have it and whatnot. I think that stands out for me as a big like gift moment because my parents went that extra mile to give me... That one gift extra than what had already been given out. And it just, I don't know, it meant the world for me. So I think of why I go so hard for them during the holiday season now when I buy gifts for them. It's like I have to go over the top best gift. I'm out doing all the siblings kind of thing. But yeah, that stands out for me
0: as a great
1: gift moment. What was your favorite gift?
0: I have a, a moment like yours too. It was in sep- Christmas of 78. My mom and I moved from Michigan to Alabama. Mm-hmm to get to make me a little bit healthier, because I was having a real hard time in the cold with asthma and whatnot, and you know, money was tight. she just she started a new job. Christmas was like six months after you know we moved, still getting into friends and new schools and all this stuff. And I knew that money was tight, and you know, things were like and and, and Christmas was very utilitarian. It's like some school supplies. I remember getting a bulletin board and some other, you know, utilitarian things. And I was okay with that. It's like I knew that was the deal. Mm-hmm. And we were living in an apartment and the balcony had a storage closet on it. And that's like where the tools were. She's like, So, you know, go out, get the hammer, get the nails, we'll hang up the bulletin board. I'm like, Okay, how'd I go? And to that point, the curtains had been still closed in the morning. She had hung from like the rafters. A giant stocking. The stocking was bigger than I was as like an 11 year old. (laughs) It was jammed. I had to crawl inside of it to get to the stuff that was in the foot. And she just, you know, in a season where it meant more because I knew, you know, we'd moved and all this stuff had gone down. It was a big year, you know, even at that age, it was like, oh my God, I still have that stocking somewhere.
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, Really?
0: Yeah. You can't just throw out a six-foot stocking.
1: <laughs> I mean, this is true.
0: <laughs> We had good parents.
1: <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did.
0: <laughs> so we've got a lot of books to talk about. Yeah, We've each picked five of our favorites. And the order that we're going to give these out to everybody is in order of author's last name. So we haven't really ranked this as like, this is my number one favorite. And this is my last. Because that's impossible. And I don't know Maybe. about you. I randomly set five for the talk (laughs) we're having, but I could have picked 10 really easily. Yeah, this year was an
1: incredible year for Queer YA fiction. So I struggled so hard to narrow it down to five. And even these five, like you said, it could change any day of the week. It's not necessarily like like the end all list for us, but I think we have a pretty good list.
0: I'm curious your perspective and we won't go off on this too long but do you see like with all the book bans and everything do you think the the queer YA is going to get end up pulled back in some way or is it going to keep hopefully getting put out there as the blueprint to the better world
1: I don't see it being pulled back necessarily in publishing acquiring queer YA fiction or queer books in general. I don't see that happening. I do worry sometimes about the exposure that they'll get and the bookshelf space. And not necessarily will like booksellers and librarians and whatnot try to stock it, but will there be such a fight that they're not able to mm-hmm. stock it? But I don't, I don't see publishing slowing down from acquiring it. I, I, I know that they see the need for it. I know that they see the urgency. And I also know that they, you know, like, readers are loud. They are not quiet sitting in a corner. They're very loud about what they want. And I think that, I mean, publishing runs off of what readers going to buy. So they have to, you know, honor that. So I don't see publishing slowing down on that. It's a matter of will it be as widely seen as it has been over mm-hmm. the most recent years?
0: Fingers crossed. Yes. That, the discoverability is is so important. So let's help people maybe discover some books that we love if they yes. missed them this year. I'll let you kick it off. What's your first book? Oh, gosh.
1: Okay. So my first book, it was hard to pick. I I picked This Wicked Fate by Kaylin Bayron, and it was hard to pick it only because it's the second book in a duology. And I was like, oh, gosh, I don't want you to just jump head first into the second book. But... I do hope that it makes you want to read the first book if you haven't already picked it up or pick up both at the same time. And I, I love it so much. It is a contemporary YA set around magic, set around mythology, which I love. growing up. I was a huge fan of mythology. Gave me all the stories about gods and, and magic and power and things like any mortals and things like that. So it's a book about a teen Black girl. Her name is Briseis. And she's living in New York City with her moms. And the series kind of focuses on the fact that she just one day realizes she can control plants. She can heal them. She can help them grow. She There's all different things she does with plant life, kind of like a, a poison ivy kind of way. And they she mysteriously gets handed this land in upstate new york from a deceased aunt she's never met in her entire life and they move to this very small town where weird spooky things are happening and she's not really sure why and the house is old but it has an apothecary and there's so many different things to it that she's just trying to grasp and understand while also trying to conceal the fact that she can control plant life you know her her moms are very cautious that they don't want her to expose that to the world and then have all these people interested in their lives while Briseis is still trying to discover who she is and where she comes from. And the second book picks up after, I won't spoil too much, but some stuff goes down and her mother is kidnapped by a god and taken to the underworld. And now Briseis is on this journey to do anything that's within her power to get her mother back. And it's just such an amazing book about sisterhood and family and mythology and growing into the person that you want to become. It also has this wonderful romance between Briseis and another character named Marie that I absolutely love because they have a little bit of like this kind of grumpy sunshine kind of thing going on. It's kind of like a push and pull a little bit, but they are both super protective of each other, which, oh my gosh, I love so much in a romance is to see like you're, you're still discovering all these things about this person, but they will go to like the end of the world for you. And um, So that's great. But it's I. I think what's so wonderful about it is Caitlin writes such beautiful lyrical stories that you're immediately drawn into the world without feeling like you've like you know stepped so far out of like reality. But you, like it's almost like you believe these things are truly happening in this moment. And she writes such wonderful, relatable characters who are funny, who are flawed, and who kind of go on these adventures that you just like. By the end of the book, you're like at all costs i have to protect this this one character. nothing else bad can happen to them. and i think uh, i think that's one of the great things about books is when you feel so attached to characters that they almost feel like a friend they almost feel like a family member someone it's like you want everything great to happen to them. Mm-hmm. so that's my first book that i highly recommend that duology but especially this wicked fate because Kaylin ties up all of these different mysteries that she left open in book 1 and ties them perfectly together in book
0: 2. You know, I don't read a lot of fantasy, like Not fantasy either. magic and stuff. But knowing this was on your list and hearing why it is a favorite, I'm like, okay, maybe I need a duology in my life sooner than later <laughs> because you hit so many of the things that I love in y a or just you know, books in general, the family aspect, the that protect at all costs, even if it's a new relationship that you're that invested that it is about protecting at all costs. So, yeah, you added to my TBR, which was inevitable anyway. But (laughs) this one, I'm like, yeah, I might have to pick that up. And it's a gorgeous cover, too. I mean, the the cover itself was like, oh, yeah.
1: Amazing. So eye-catching. And like you, I'm not into fantasy. I don't read a lot of it. But when it's like a contemporary fantasy where I can feel like I'm still you know, within my realm of, of things and I don't feel like I have to be taught seven different languages to understand what's happening. Yeah. That That's this book, you don't, you just go in and you're just like, oh, that makes sense. Let's keep going.
0: Yeah, I don't want to have to spend, I don't want the info dump of world building to have to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I want to believe that maybe it's over there. Yeah, I just don't <laughs> know about it over yeah. here.
1: Right, <laughs> it's just a car right away.
0: <laughs> so for me, my first book, it's probably the book that had the most impact on me overall for the year, and it's "This Is Why They Hate Us" by Aaron Esteves. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I mean, it sounded simple. Enrique is going to have this summer between junior and senior year, work on himself. You know, either get over or move on from his friend that he's got a crush on, who doesn't know they have that he has a crush on him. So it's that whole unrequited thing. But also to explore his sexuality a little bit and, you know, figure out about all these guys that he's, you know, could be interested in, maybe connect with them, maybe hook up, whatever, you know, and then self-improvement too, which I think is amazing for a junior in high school (laughs) to think about (laughs) getting in better shape and reading some more books and knowing enough that he's got mental health issues that he needs to work on. Aaron did such an amazing job creating Enrique and making me care for him so early in the book. How he deals with that crush, oh, it just hurt my heart so many times. Not to mention some of the crazy stuff that goes down with those other guys. He hooks up with three or four guys through the through the course of it. And some of it's like, eh. And some of it's like, you think you're hooking up and then you end up and sort of commit a crime while you're doing it. So that was really kind of fun. He's just kind of, you know, figuring out who he is and what he wants, which is, of course, what you're supposed to do as a kid. But it's such a roller coaster between all these other people and his best friends, you know, that and the one, of course, that he's got the crush on, as they're all navigating all their stuff too, which is a whole other thing. So I really loved how all that came together in this really just lovely narrative. And Aaron did such an amazing job with Enrique's self-realization of how he felt and how that got conveyed onto the page. Because I think... When you're working with that kind of POV, it can be really hard to commentary on yourself without seeming like it's some you know weird thing that's going on. So yeah. I loved how he did that. But then there's also how Enrique takes in these books. He talks about, I think it's like th- two, three, four classic bits of queer literature, things like Call Me By Your Name and a couple other books. He breaks them down. He thinks about how those characters relate to him. He he named the every gay character trope, which I thought was just brilliant. I'd like to sit down with Aaron sometime and talk books just in general, because <laughs> I think he his brain works interestingly, or he did a bunch of research for this. I don't quite know what. Mm. But the thing that really stuck with me here was that for the people who heard my review a few weeks ago, they heard this a little bit too. There's something about Enrique and his type of anxiety and his type of mental health that just made my teenage self all of a sudden feel so seen. Mm -hmm. You know, this is like, you know, I'm 54. My teenage years are a zillion years ago now. But reading this stuff and some of the things that Enrique went through, some of the actions that he took was like, hmm, I know exactly what that is. And for us being decades apart, completely different backgrounds, it just, it really hit me. And it was like, you know, I think this is a book that'll stick with me for a long while because of that. And I i see myself in in romances and some of the adult books, you know, on a routine basis, I could pick out parts of myself, but it doesn't happen that often in YA, which is fine because I'm not the YA audience, but boy, when it did, it was just like, hmm Have that moment and sit with it for a bit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That validation is so, I think it's so important. I think it's also so healing to know, because I feel like a lot of, you know, your teen years, you can, you can almost feel like, like you're broken. Like no one else understands this. No one else gets it. And why am I not like everyone else and how they handle things? And so I think that's one of the great parts of being an adult and reading YA is kind of seeing that, no, what you experienced was not only real, but you weren't alone and you're not alone. And there will be others after you who will feel the same way. So I love that. I just, I definitely love that the book, uh, for me, I love a good book that is about self-exploration, but also self-empowerment and becoming the person that you are supposed to be or the person that you're almost afraid to be, but you know you need to go that way. I love books like that. And I also love books that are like multi-layered where it's like, this is not my only focus in life, which, is, you know, I, it's not just about him hooking up with guys and, you know, trying to like get over a crush, but it's also about all these other things that he wants to explore about himself before, you know, senior year hits. And then all of a sudden it's all about, okay, what's your next step? In life?
0: Yeah. So good. Okay, I'm looking forward to what he writes next. Cause if I remember right, I think that was his YA debut. So yeah. Yeah. That's his debut. Yeah.
1: The next book is on, on trend with the last book, which is books that I don't typically read in YA, but that when I did, I could not get enough of. And that is All The Stuff in the World by Eric J. Brown. It's a debut YA book that came out this year. And when I got asked to read it, I was like, Me, (laughs) are you sure you want me to read this because it is a kind of like a post apocalyptic book? It's a contemporary book again, set in a world where this sort of pandemic has happened and unfortunately killed off like a good majority of the human population, which was a little too close to home through what we've been through in the past couple of years. But yeah, it was this, this it's this world that's kind of just been devastated by death and loss and not being able to explain any of it. And there are these two boys, Andrew, who it, the opening chapter is just like the wildest thing because it opens with him being trapped in a bear trap. His leg has been caught in a bear trap and it's because the world not only has like dwindled in like population but also in like trust in each other and whatnot it's kind of like a fight for yourself kind of thing he's got into bear trap and he's found by another boy jamie who kind of takes him in both boys have lost their loved ones they've lost their family jamie's actually had to who he's. it was just him and his mom and he actually had to watch his mother die from this pathogen that is you know kind of spread throughout the world so he's dealing with that harboring that and trying to figure you know navigate life alone by you know figure that out and Andrew, who has for most of the book has these these secrets that he just will not let out about, you know, what's happened to him on his journey. It's so fascinating to see these boys connect and, you know, kind of decide, okay, we're going to venture off into the world together to get to this destination and figure things out. And they've decided to, I want to say they're in Pennsylvania, it's somewhere up north, Pennsylvania, I think. And they are starting on this trek all the way down to Florida where they've heard that there is this this plane that's going to take off and take them away to this location where people, you know, are kind of gathering and rebuilding the world. And again, totally not my, you know, a book that I would usually pick up, but while reading it, I could not put it down. The only time I put it down was in the moments that felt so real and so emotional and so visceral that I was like, I have to step away for a second because my emotions are like moving in 17 different directions. And that is like this connection between the boys is so magnetic it's so magnetic the chemistry is unbelievable they're they're funny they're snarky they're also disillusioned by what's happened to the world and they're they're honestly lonely you know they've been without people that they know and trust and love for so long that they kind of cling to each other and learn what it means to open up again and to trust people. And I I love that so much, but there's a lot of adventure happening in there. There's a lot of moments of tension and, you know, oh my gosh, what's going to happen because you're entering this world of people who are kind of forming their own groups and forming their own, you know, families and, and whatnot. And these boys are just trying to get to a better place, but on the way they meet some Very untrustworthy people, (laughs) some people who definitely mean them harm, some people who are building their own kind of like cults and stuff like that. It's this me and you against the world thing that I love so so much, especially in a YA that kind of explores things like loss and grief and what it means to kind of rebuild your life. Just amazing. And again, while it has its dark moments, it is so ridiculously funny. And romantic, and there are so many cute moments where you're just like, oh my God, I forgot that I'm reading about a world that kind of feels like post-COVID. So <laughs> it, 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 that's what I think I I think right readers will love about it is that there are so many great points where it's just like, it takes you out of the despair of the world to remind you that even in our darkest moments, there's room for humor, there's room for love, there's room for affection, and there is room to be vulnerable.
0: This book has been on my to-read list, and I've actually got the arc that Mm. I was never able to pick up because am I going to read a book about a virus? I don't know. (laughs) Well, at the same time, Stephen King's The Stand is one of my all-time favorite books because Mm. of the story and everything that's in that epic tome of a book.
1: (laughs) This one is not that as long.
0: (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) And so hearing you talk about it I'm like okay maybe I can find the moment so maybe I could get this read in you know 2023
1: Yeah no I I, I definitely think yeah it's you I do think feel like you have to be you know in a space that you're comfortable with that. I feel like that's with any book that you pick up when it feels like something that you've experienced in life. It's it's super hard to kind of dive back into those emotions and whatnot because we're, we're, as humans, we're so good at taking something, locking it away, and pretending we don't see it. And so, yeah, I definitely think that's it's a space that you have to be immensely mentally to read it. But I, I promise you, you will not regret <laughs> picking up that book only for the jokes that Eric. Puts in there are just ridiculous it's just ridiculous it's his mind is amazing
0: I do love a good joke dropped in in appropriate moments
1: <laughs> there are so many great ones from dad jokes to oh my gosh I can't believe you just said that on a book joke so
0: 2022 has been an amazing year for hockey books and yeah. I actually have hockey books in my YA list and in my romance list that I'll talk about in a couple of weeks it was a hockey year which I loved of course. Next one up for me is Icebreaker by Al Grazia Day, and also apparently mental health is a little theme in some of my books because two <laughs> of five have mental health issues at the forefront. This book, it's part romance. You've got an enemies to friends to maybe probably something more going on between Mickey and Jason. They're both vying for the top position of their school's hockey team, so it's. I, and I like that it's not enemy and opposition from the other team it's like competition right here inside our team to where at times you weren't clear they were on the same team because they both (laughs) wanted the number one spot they're both trying to get the number one draft pick to move into the pros and they're they're, they sometimes forget that they're trying to win games for the school (laughs) at the same time and who doesn't get caught up in that competitive streak not just against the other team but at times whether it's your teammate or you know school orchestra vying for first chair or whatever that is i loved how it was explored here team dynamics versus individual dynamics and that whole thing i just really loved how they got into that but this book also again got into depression and anxiety and the pressure on these athletes mickey in particular it's like third generation Of hockey player at the school. So there's all the pressure from his parents and his, you know, the legacy of the family to do well. So it was interesting to see how that played out. And for Jason, it's just about doing well, because that's his future that he sees to excel and to get into the NHL. And I really loved in this book in particular, that Jason's black. Hockey is still such a very white sport, you know, overwhelmingly though. I think the last stats I saw was like 80% between players and staff. It's white. And to show here a young black player at the top of his game vying for that next level. I love that for any, you know, whether it's a young black person or just a young person of color to see that right there, that here's a, here's a guy playing hockey and, you know, finding a little bit of love too on the team along the way. I love that. And the friend group here, there was a lot of polarization as these two were kind of screwing up the team for the benefit of themselves, Mm -hmm. but there were some really good tight friends here. There was somebody that Mickey could talk to. I believe it was his roommate who also battled his own depression and to be able to have those honest conversations that teens don't always know how to have with each other. I thought that was really nice. This just, it ticked so many boxes for me between the romance and the hockey and just that depth of character that was brought to the page, I just loved it. And the audiobook, too, just there were some moments, the emotional tone that the narrator found was just like, I need to stop for a second <laughs> and just have a moment to myself because yeah. it was so good.
1: Yeah. I Whenever I can find a great audiobook to go with a book I love, it just heightens it to a whole nother level. And I appreciate that so much. Narrators, I love you and appreciate you so much because you can make me fall in love with something deeper than I thought I ever could. So I love that. I, like you, my shelves are stuck with any kind of like team sport with an added romance book, I from the young adult side to the adult side. I love, love books like that. I love a good in team, rivals to friends to something more kind of feel. I love that vibe so much because, like you said, when they're on opposite teams, like it's, it's still good and that's still fun, but. When you're on the same team, it's like you're constantly in each other's space, in each other's spaces. There's no escaping that. There's no, oh, I'll see this person at the next, you know, rivalry game or something. It's constantly there. And that heightens the tension and the emotion so much. And I love that. But I also love, especially when it comes to sports books, when they focus on mental health, because like you said, that's not something that's not even just from a team perspective, but it's not something discussed. At all. Like these athletes are expected to perform at a certain level at all times. It's never with the thought of, you know, how are they going to be at the end of this or how are they going to be during this or the beginning of this. It's all about. We need to win. This needs to happen. And that's it. And so when something explores mental health and the pressure of being, like you said, a third generation player or what impact it has being a black player in a sport that's predominantly white. I think that's super important, especially in YA, to to show readers that these things exist and they happen, but there is hope and there are great things still ahead for you. While dealing with these situations. So that's awesome. I've been meaning to read icebreakers. So I'm so glad that you had it on your list because it confirms from what I, the vibe I got from the cover, which is Julian, you must own this.
0: Yeah. Just go pick it up. You know, I listened to the audiobook book and it's like, okay, I just need this on my shelf now. So I went out and bought the hardback because it just, it had to be there alongside, you know, best books. So I'm glad I got to give you one that you had not read.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think i have make a couple more. We'll see. My next one was Gay Club by Simon James Green. I, oh, my
0: gosh. That cover is glittery. The cover. Oh, i never it seen is, it in person. That is yeah, amazing. Oh.
1: It is glittery. It is beautiful. It is everything. And it's no surprise, I am a huge Simon James Green fan. Ever since Noah Kant even came out, I have been singing his praises and every book since it has been great. This took it to like five levels above what he's written before. It is outstanding. It is hilarious, as you would expect. From the opening page, I was cracking up. Simon James Green is amazing at voice, and he's amazing at telling jokes at the right time. But what made this book so incredible, it is about a young queer boy by the name of Barney. He is in the race, or he's running for president of their their gay club, their LGBTQ plus society. And his opponent is someone who used to be in his friend group who her name is Bronte they don't really they've never really gotten along they are definitely like the super rivals to each other you know they both want to be like head of the class kind of thing like t- every right, teacher's favorite all these great things and so they've always been competitive with each other um and so they have this like this rivalry going on it's almost election time and Barney kind of gets tricked into it, it was just gonna be like a members only vote but the they're they're Their queer club, it's like five members deep. And so Bronte tricks him into opening it up to the school, entire school population, and having them vote on who should be president of this club. Things just get just downright nasty after that. It is like the Fun political. Think like a like Witherspoon will be election. Like Mm -hmm. think that like it is just downright. These two are butting heads, competing for this spot as president, and it's causing kind of like this not only just friction for them, but friction within the friend group that Barney has, because now they're so determined to get him president that they go to extreme lengths, including a fake dating storyline, including campaign slogans and just like these wild, the wildest things happening, you know, kind of like slinging mud thing. But the real twist is when another student decides to enter in the race and he is everybody's favorite, like most popular kid in school kind of thing, like the good looking one, but also like everybody knows him to be straight and whatnot. So he's entered the race now because he's like, well, gay club, since you say that it's, it's something that you're accepting of everyone, should be open to everyone. And so now it's this three-person race to like try to like Bronte and Barney are trying to take down the popular guy. And he's just like, I just want everyone to be happy. I I just want everyone to be accepting kind of thing, which is like all kinds of hijinks and fun. But I think the biggest thing that hit me with this book is the way that Simon James Green talks about the quiet part out loud in that he delves so beautifully and so wonderfully into the fact that within the queer community, though we don't always want to acknowledge it, there's so much gatekeeping. There's so much. Are you enough to be a part of this? And that happens. Where where Barney Bronte and their friends are kind of like, can we let this person into our group? You know, and it's it's so much about them. You know, kind of saying, do you hit these marks? Do you qualify here? It's this checklist. It's these different things that we do as a queer community where we say, you know, okay, you want to be part of this? You know, show. You know, sh- what's your identity? What you know. What kind of things do you like? What kind of things do you not like? Kind of thing that we do. And I hate so much. And it's such an important book to me, especially considering what's happened recently with major public facing figures, including Kit Connor from Heart Stoppers, where it's like we're constantly as a community saying, you have to show us this proof that you belong. Otherwise, we won't accept you when we've spent so much of our lives being not accepted for who we are and say, you know, and and once we've, you know, shown who we are, it's like, no, you can't belong. You no, we don't want you here kind of thing. And Simon James Green spent a good portion of the novel dissecting that and looking at the ways that we're doing it to our own community. We're doing it to our own people and saying to them, you know, if you don't have these certain things, you can't come in. And it shouldn't be that. It should be you don't have to come out to come in kind of thing. And that's something that's, that's a quote from the book. That's a sign that they have outside the club and whatnot. And it hits and like every portion of the book. It's just a reminder that we have to do better, especially, you know, looking at teens about forcing people to meet these standards in order to be a part of a community that should be loving because we've been told we're unlovable.
0: This is a book that had not been on my radar. I don't know how I missed it. Cause you know, Simon James green, should be aware of what he's doing. I'm going to have to pick this up. I love books that get into the competitive side of like running for school office, whether it's like, you know, president of the class or for a club, or, you know, it might be homecoming king or queen. And so many great YA books recently have kind of, you know, delved into that either as a side point or a primary storytelling aspect. But I love what you hit on there about the proving who you are to be in. As you and I are talking, the Kit Connor thing is—I don't even think a, t- a week old yet. Yeah, Might no. be two weeks old, but it's very new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his tweet about it was just devastating. And I agreed. It's like if you're—I think you missed the point of the show, all of you who made me do this. But we do. We just—we demand so much of actors and musicians and authors to prove the credential to write this story, play this part, you know, whatever it is. And yet we're protective for the most part of when we individually choose to come out. It's like, we don't want our public figures to have that same safety that we might as, not in the public eye, people. Yeah. I love that he's taking that on here. So this is, that's a good, have to be one that I, I read and I might have to get the cover because it's sparkly. <laughs> it's sparkly, lovely. And like I said, a hilarious book. So I'm going to swing us back to the serious. You know, you've had a plague. Yes. (laughs) I'm going to deal with a dome falling over a city. (laughs) Survive the dome, Kasoko Jackson. Survives the dome is something that like, if I heard about this on the news as an event tonight, I'd be like, oh, wow. I didn't know we had that tech, but I'm also not surprised. (laughs) So what we've got here is an aspiring photojournalist and a high school student. He's eager to bolster his college resume in the documents he's turning over because he wants to get into Columbia. And so he's headed into downtown Baltimore to attend and cover a protest on police brutality. You know, very similar to the things that we've seen play out, especially summer of 2020 and into 2021, all over the news. Not long after he arrives and, you know, gets into the protest area, a not falls over the city. All over the downtown area, no one can leave. Internet, cell phones, none of that works anymore. And the whole idea is that the government has done this as a way to control the citizens and to kind of force them to, you know, disperse and go home. Deal with that. Jamal, of course, doesn't live in Baltimore. He's got nowhere to go home to to, you know, get off the streets as you're supposed to a teenage hacker kind of picks him up takes him home causes a whole bunch of drama because here's this outsider (laughs) suddenly with other people in the safe house so that was a whole thing but the hacker and this young woman who's been in the military they all eventually come together and you know team up to essentially not only survive being inside the dome but also bring the dome down this book played into exactly what i love about smart teenagers (laughs) who can, you know, take on situations, make a plan, have a vision on how to make this end. And at the same time, they are kids. They make mistakes. They don't think it all through because they don't have, you know, the experience that their adult counterparts may have. They take moments to be kids because sometimes, you know, just the emotional capacity to deal with everything that's happening around you you know, they need that moment to be a kid, maybe to want a parent or, you know, an adult to be like, can somebody just come fix this? Because this shouldn't be my problem to deal with. And Kosoko, the way he wrote Jamal, so smart and goes through so many emotions, especially as he occasionally is separated from the people he's traveling with, because either they're executing a plan and they all have to be separated, or at times, Things just don't go to plan, and they are separated. He's back to himself, and Kosoko, a lot like Aaron, has those right ways to have the teenagers tell us how they feel, without it being weird that it's in you know that first person kind of POV at the same time. Jamal, Marco, and Catherine, I just love them so so much, and I hope I've told Kosoko this. I was like, can we get some? sequel, some short story, like what they do (laughs) next. (laughs) I would be so into that. But yeah, you know, I I love how this is just a little bit in the future. You know, it's Mm -hmm, just, you know, it could be tomorrow, could be next month, could be five years down the line, may never happen, but you could see it. You know, you could just lay this over any one of the protests that we've seen and have a dome put over it. And then you've kind of got the story, you know, right there. We've got enough in our heads collectively as a society who may read this book to see all of that and to pick the story up from there. I just, I was blown away by it. It's, it's the, I think the most serious book on my list, but also just did so many great things. I, I just, I loved it.
1: One that I have been meaning to pick up because Kosoko's debut YA, yesterday's, like, so amazing. Ripped my heart out, but in the best kind of ways. And it's such a great romance in that one. So definitely want to pick up Survivor Zone. But I do love that kind of banding together of like the really smart teens to kind of like, like, especially in a world where adults so often look down on teens and don't think they're capable of doing anything. I love when they come together and show otherwise. And and but all the while making, like you said, the, the youthful mistakes that you're going to make because you don't have the experience or you don't know all there is to know about a certain thing. I do love that, but I'm all for like teams band together and overthrowing any kind of governmental situation all the time.
0: Love it. (laughs) We are there for all those books.
1: (laughs) All of those books. Give them all to me. Love that so much. My next one is, I love this author, first of all, but I'm also it is, very much in my wheelhouse as someone who spent a lot of time in fan fiction so this is very much like perfect for me which is kiss and tell by Dee karam which is about boy band something i know a little bit about so it is the story of hunter who is he's in a boy band and kind of think like one Direction, kind of like boy band, like they're huge. They're from Canada, though. No, they're not from they're not from London or not from England. They are from Canada, and so they're huge. They're big. They're everything right now. Going on this like super big world tour, and Hunter is the out gay member of the group. So he's kind of like this token member in a way that the media like looks at him in this way. Each, each member like with a, all boy bands kind of play their role in a way, and so Hunter is. Out, and they're going on tour. And he has recently broken up with his boyfriend who decides in a revenge kind of way to leak their text to the internet, to, to Twitter or whatnot. And let's just say the texts are not... Mm, they are rather racy, but also like super, like, you know, it's also super very vulnerable kind of thing that's exposed through the text and whatnot. It's a a moment that should not have been shared out there in the world. And so Hunter Nazia with this kind of fallout of, how the meat not only the media but like the perception of the online perception of him is because they've often treated him as oh he's the nice cute gay one and that is like how they look at him but all of a sudden they realize oh my gosh you know this is what he's had like a not just like a boyfriend but they've actually like had sex and different things and whatnot and so now all of a sudden this perception is skewed from him being this cookie cutter wonderful like cinnamon roll to like oh no he's the worst thing ever just because he's human and he's a teenager and he's exploring who he is and so now Hunter's Label is on a mission to clean up his image because they love a good clean gay. And so they, you know, they, they, they make it they try to change his image and try to change you know the things that he does. And they set him up on this fake relationship with a member of another band, I think like the Jonas brothers, their their Iranian American trio of boys. And they set them up with the the drummer in the band they say okay you two we're setting you up and we're putting you in these perfect situations where you can get photographed by paparazzi and look like the wonderful cute happy boys you are and not boys you know who are just growing into themselves and sometimes don't have good days also sometimes you know have messy situations that happen and so it's it's a very you know, coming of age kind of story where Hunter has to discover not he's he's had a voice and he knows how to use it, but he's learning to use it in ways that are impactful and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to be the gay that you know the label wants him to be. He wants to be authentic and he wants to be real. He wants to be genuine. And through this fake relationship, he also learns what what healthy relationships look like. And you know, what are things that he wants for himself and what are the things that he wants for other people in his life. And it's it's also Adeep does this brilliant job of kind of deconstructing the way that media treats public-facing queer people and the way that, you know, it's an attack on who they are if they slip up out of this realm of perfectness or this realm of cleanness or this realm of, you know, being soft and gentle. And, you know, and I love that so much because I see it a lot in fandoms and whatnot, where people just love to attach the word roll to, you know, boys and stuff like that. When sometimes, you know, they're spicy. Sometimes, you know, their exterior is rough. Sometimes they are angry. Sometimes they don't want to be these things that we attach to them. But that's how, you know, sometimes fandoms work. And he, he also explores how toxic that can be and whatnot. So it is a, it has a beautiful romance. Wonderful, loved every second of that. But it also is a wonderful exploration of the way that we treat queer people in public-facing situations and the things that we should think about when we have the opportunity to speak up, when we have the opportunity to use our voice and use our platform to be helpful. So yeah, a lot of great things happen in the book, but honestly, the romance is like top tier.
0: So I have a confession to make, and I hope that we're still friends after I say this. Oh no! I have yet to read deep corum. Oh my gosh. I feel like not having read the Darius books is like a huge gap in my queer YA reading, which I oh. need to fix so badly. Yes. <laughs> He's still here, folks. He didn't hang up on me. So that's a good sign.
1: <laughs> I will not. <laughs> but I yeah.
0: I just, yes. I, I, and in all fairness to my queer YA reading, I only just read Aristotle and Dante earlier this year. No! So. Oh. I know. I might right? hang up now. <laughs> I'm a bad YA author and host no. and reviewer. No. But uh, this book sounds amazing. And it's been on my radar. Yeah. Because of its subject matter. Because yeah, boy bands, I'm right there with you. I feel like it's been a boy band year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, if this gets out, you know, yes. Sophie Gonzalez and Kale Dietrich came out this year. Mm -hmm. Alice Oseman just has, I was born for this out very recently. I've read both of those. They're just, they were incredible taking on their little points of the boy band. And do you think those work as well as they do? Because it's kind of the team, almost team sport that you've got all these people working together to do their music. And so you get that whole dynamic going for it. Is that part of that? What draws to that kind of like collection of people?
1: I do, I do think, you know, that music, it is like the musical team sport kind of thing. And I do, I do love that. I do think it is also people kind of love it because you have, this, this group that's doing like this great thing, but you also have these different personalities where you can find yourself or find you know the, the ones that you like and you kind of cling to that and you have your favorites and all that good stuff. But it's also great to see how these different personalities function together and synchronize and make things happen. So I think that plays into it as well. I also think that it plays into the fact that Sometimes those situations don't work out. And sometimes, you know, it can, you kind of do see these, these lines drawn and whatnot. And I think that's just the reality of like different friend groups and whatnot. You feel that in your friend groups and stuff. You know, you feel like sometimes some friends are closer than other friends but you all still work together so I think that's that can be what draws people to it but also like, they're fun like I, they're just they fun. Are fun like versus with sports where you get really locked into a team and if they lose like your whole emotional state collapses with boy bands or with music groups in general you just you just sing their songs and you have fun and you go to the concert and you go home and you talk about it online like, there's no win or lose I mean there's also obviously a win but there's no losing with that kind of thing so maybe that's, that's, that's why point. it's the, the funner version of a team sport. <laughs>
0: The funner version of a team sport. I like that. <laughs> so my next one is from the summer. Small Town Pride by Phil Stamper. Oh, yes, Phil! Um, it's a little younger than YA because it was designed as a middle grade book. But the resonance in here, especially these days, is so strong. Jake's an eighth grader. He came out to his parents, who went way overboard, <laughs> and decided to plant a huge pride flag in their front yard. Now, granted, they already had the giant flagpole that they use, you know, through the year. But up with the giant pride flag on the giant flagpole, and suddenly everybody in town knows exactly what's going on here. So while Jake is happy for the support of his parents, he's not real sure about how everyone else now knows about it. And in this year, like I said, you know, we've seen so many attacks on queer youth, and it just continues. This book really tackled it head on, and you know the the lead time that. Phil, you know, had to have written this book more than a year ago. The fact that it dropped this pride month when it did, I think was just the perfect moment to put it out into the world because Jake's got to deal with the conservatives in town who don't want the flag in his front yard, but also don't want him to throw the town's first pride celebration at all. They don't want to sweep the whole thing away. That, you know, that's not happening. These people don't live here kind of thing. But then there's also this super sweet crush. Oh my gosh. This little crush between Jake and the mayor's son, and of course the mayor is not a friend to this cause at all, oh, it was such a nice little sweet thing that ran through there. And Jake having to figure out how to deal with Brett, who's also not out, and you know how that presents certain dynamics in their relationship to deal with as well. One of this book's lines, actually it's a few lines, has really stuck with me since I read it. And it's a piece of Jake's thoughts at some point in the book where he says, hateful people are everywhere and know that, but couldn't they just shut up for a minute? Why did they always have to have the last say when it comes to celebrating people who are different than them? It's like, I just applauded when I read that in the the book because it's like, yes, that thing right there, why must we deal with this? Such a perfect book. I have to imagine it's going to give middle grade, young adult readers such a powerful read on how they as one person can impact a community, which thankfully, I mean, we've seen play out a few times over the course of this year with individual students and groups of students. Well-timed book, well-written. I love Jake. I'm sure Jake's going to grow up and have an awesome life. (laughs) You know, I'd like to see him in a YA book (laughs) later because I always want the sequel. If you, Phil, can we have that maybe? Maybe
1: (laughs) I would Um, love I would love to see more like that. I would love to see more like middle grade, the same author transitioning that character into a YA space, like giving us more of the story. That would be so awesome to read.
0: Fingers crossed we can get that one day. But yeah, I just I totally love this book. And it made my year and kind of made my pride month because, you know, so much was happening around pride this year that that injection of hope and coming out on the other side in a good spot just made me happy.
1: Phil is Phil is an amazing person and writes incredible stories. But I'm so glad that Phil has a middle grade out there. So glad it is an upper middle grade also because we desperately need books that are closer to like bridging that gap from going from middle grade to YA. We desperately need books where there's younger characters in YA so that you know those those readers can kind of feel and see themselves. I'm loving that before my middle grade shelf was only like couple of queer books on it and now it's getting to the point where i'm having to push all the other books off so i can have like a whole shelf to queer YA. and i love that phil is a part of that and i love that this story is a part of it too i will never not stand the books that phil is writing because i think he's doing a fantastic
0: job yeah i I think it's fair to say that he certainly had the year because of golden boys too like will will took golden boys away (laughs) from me to read And he just loved it. And he doesn't read YA often, but that book worked so much for him. And the next one comes out, oh gosh, it's next year, right? I
1: think it's next year. Yeah, early
0: next year is the sequel to that. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes. I love that that, that cover with the the different graduation caps on it. Yes. Yes. All right. It's time for your last one. Oh gosh. Okay. So I'm glad this is my last one because this book was a book that young Julian needed. This is a book that current Julian needed. This is a book that when I saw the cover, I was like, oh yeah, I can't wait. This is super great. And you know, when you get like super excited about a book and then, you know, it it, it hits the spot, but you know, you walk away. Okay. This one went above and beyond what I was expecting of it. And it is Kings of Beemore by R. Eric Thomas. And it is, first of all, it is like a modern day Ferris Bueller's Day Off where two friends are have this bucket list of things that they have to get done in one single day because one of them is moving away. Harrison is very much like, the planner and the organizer. And I'm going to make this happen because his best friend Linus is moving is moving away because his dad got a job in a different city. And so they're going to be apart and they haven't been apart since, I want to say it was like middle school or something like that where they, their friendship first developed online and whatnot, and then they become friends in real life. So Harrison plans this fantastic day. We're going to do the, like these out of the world. There's those things they're gonna visit, like this great historic museum, Black historic u- museum. They're gonna go to their first pride together. They're going to ride in a convertible somehow, someway, even though they both don't have any license and can't drive. So there's just like these wonderful moments that happen throughout it that just really touch my heart so much. They're both queer Black boys living in Baltimore, and what I love about this book, I love a good romance. I I like stand all day long for romances give it to me in any way shape or form this book is so much about the platonic relationship between these two queer black boys which is what i needed i needed to because a lot of growing up and even now it's it's so much where you don't see that in people color spaces where you have this tight-knit group of people who all you know have the same ethnicity and have grown up in the same kind of places. And with this book, it is so much about their friendship and it is about the ways that they genuinely love each other. Like I want to do anything for you. I'm going to make a sacrifice. Linus's father has this app on his phone where he tracks him and everywhere he goes. He's like, do not lie to me, make sure you're in this one spot. And it's so wonderful the lengths that Harrison goes through to make sure that Linus's phone travels around to these different spots that his father thinks he's going to be in while they're off doing something else. I guess just so much love between them. And it, I ached so bad by the end where they have to say their goodbyes because it's just like you felt this love flowing through the pages through the entire book and you just want the best for them. And yeah, it's, it's, it's so amazing. And it's also super funny. The thing that they get into, I was just like, Oh my goodness. But also I'm pretty sure I did that too as a teen and I'm pretty sure it did not end the way it was supposed to. But it's just so much fun to see that while also exploring things like going to your first pride and knowing what it's like to be amongst your people and feeling that spirit and feeling that moment. And then this, I don't know, it's just just so much fun. But also those really poignant moments hit so hard that by the end, I was just like, I wanted to just thank Eric for the rest of my life for writing something about two queer black boys that resonated so deeply.
0: This is one that is in the house. I've got the hardback in the house because I'm like, oh, I'm going to buy that because I that sounds amazing. And then it's a matter of like too many books and too little time. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Because I mean, just the Ferris Bueller like thing and and trying to do all this stuff in the day because it's the day that you have. I mean that you know that speaks to me you know in the because I'm in the Ferris Bueller generation you know when that came out in the first place so yeah now I of course have to move it up the list yes um, please do with your rave review there because it sounds like it will hit so many great just emotional beats for me watching these two go through these things the fact that you just said that they somebody's making sure that that phone travels where it needs to be <laughs> that is next level friendship right there <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. Yes. Hiring somebody to make sure the phone travels to these destinations. So his father thinks he's one place. Yeah.
0: So, okay. We've arrived to the part of this show that other than me saying, you know, that I have not read Darius the Great yet. (laughs) (laughs) That might be a little bit awkward because now I have to rave about your book from this year, right where I left you by Julian Winters. as If I needed (laughs) to say that again, this book, oh, It just every time you put a new book out, it just brings it like somehow you find the next level in your writing each time. And Isaac and Diego and here we don't have one last day, but we've got one last summer before it's off to college for Isaac and a gap year for Diego. I mean, and then you wrecked it for them so early. (laughs) One of the big centerpieces to their summer is going to a comic book kind of gaming convention, kind of a comic con kind of scenario. People from their favorite comic book are going to be there. Diego wants to get into gaming. He wants to see his gaming mentor. And then Isaac gets distracted by somebody he's had a crush on and ends up not getting the tickets. And by the time he refocuses, not that long later, they're gone. And so he's wrecked one of the centerpieces to the summer. And that just kind of kicks off like all these different dynamics between Isaac and Diego kind of figuring themselves out a little bit more over the summer and kind of an unrequited crushy thing going on between them. But then you know, there's Davi over here, (laughs) the way you set up this, this kind of triangle between them. And it seemed so organic that they're all three just kind of doing this thing. I don't feel like I see that kind of thing in YA a lot. And yet I feel like it must be something that people do go through you are all kind of like into each other. It was just kind of brilliant. And as usual, you give us beautifully supportive parents. But here, I think for the first time, I was trying to think back on your other books. You gave us somebody with the brother who is a family villain to mm-hmm. a degree. Although misunderstood and how the brotherly connection reformed itself, the way that you did that, it just, it was not something I saw coming. And as it plays itself out, I'm like, oh, that is so nice. Like it, for me, took the romance into a backseat for a second, because here's this moment of understanding and healing and fixing family and everything. It was, hmm. yeah. And then of course you write large casts also <laughs> so amazingly well. There's <laughs> all these friends. I mean, you labeled them this time and called them the six. I had to. (laughs) But all these people in the the wider orbit of these guys, and it all works, and they are not hesitant to call Isaac out when he's being stupid. (laughs) It just really ticked so many boxes, and it was so just poignant how it all came together at the end for these characters, as they do, in fact, begin that next chapter, you know, that is, you know, what all teenagers go through in that, you know, 17, 18-year-old timeframe. So yeah, thank you for that book. I, I'm not going to make you say anything coming <laughs> off of that. <laughs> I'm just going to
1: say thank you because like, we talked about the top of this. There were so many amazing queer YA books this year. And to know that I... Was one on your list when there's so many to choose from means a lot to me, especially with this book, because it is like my little love letter to fandom and geekdom and that kind of community and whatnot. And yeah, it's just amazing to know you, who have such amazing taste in books in general, would put that on your list. That
0: that makes a lot. And I swear to the listeners that it's not just because Julian's here. (laughs) But that is on the list. It has been pegged to the list for even before I knew I was doing this because it was just, it was everything The spring to read that. Cause it's just, I know I'm going to settle into a nice, warm, good, cozy place. You may like hurt my emotions while I'm getting there, but it's going to end up good. And I'm going to like the ride. <laughs> so as we wrap up, I want to remind everybody that this episode's transcript as always is brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read our conversation for yourself, you can just head on over to the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com. And don't forget the show notes page has links to everything we've talked about in this episode. So all these books we talked about, you can go right over there and find the links to go get them. Julian, thank you so much for taking the chance on being my co-host this week. I absolutely (laughs) loved our discussion, all this good YA, and it was so much fun.
1: Thank you so much. This is seriously an honor. This whole podcast is kind of like it helped like kind of springboard my career early on. So with Running With Lions, to be a part of this is almost like a full circle moment. I don't think it's full circle yet because I feel like me and you both have so much more to come. But it is a moment that I feel so honored to be a part of, to to do this with you, to talk about books that we love, but also to be a part of such an amazing part of
0: the book community, which is what you do. Well, thank you so much for that. That means a lot too, because uh, yeah, and to talk to you about books this in depth instead of quick emails back and forth. <laughs> Love it. Yes. So that's going to do it for now. Coming up next in episode 409, author E.M. Lindsay's is going to be here. Among the things we'll talk about is E.M.'s new Loose Lips Sink Ship series that's just out. And we'll talk about Madly Ever After, which is a series that's starting up in January. On behalf of Will and myself and Julian, we want to thank all of you for listening, and we hope that you'll join us again soon for more discussions about the kind of stories that we all love, the big gay fiction kind. Until then, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Original theme music by Daryl Banner.